0: What Makes a Killer contains graphic details of sexual assault and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is strongly advised. It's August 19th, 1987, and the citizens of Hungerford and Berkshire wake up to a picturesque, warm summer's day. As the citizens move about their day, it's hard not to run into some familiar faces. The small market town is an idyllic example of British countryside living.
1: When we look at spree killers, we look at what drives them. It's often an underlying simmering resentment that is often years in the making. It's a very unique form of, of mass murder.
0: As a mother sits in a local park with her two young children, she is approached by a 27 year old man. As she turns to him, she is met with a gun. The man brutally murders the woman in front of her children before fleeing the scene. What started as a normal day in the rural English oasis is about to become the bloodiest day in its history. The young man continues on his way, coming across a number of other strangers who he fires his multiple weapons at. Many do not survive his unprompted attacks.
2: Upright, calm. Lovely high street, delicate shops, the epitome of a south of England, self-effacing and yet rather proud
0: town. The town is thrown into chaos and authorities are inundated with conflicting information. As they desperately try to locate the killer, the man in question guns down 16 innocent people.
3: People were deeply shocked at the way this chaotic violence had erupted into what were small-scale, placid English lives.
0: This is What Makes a Killer, a series that chronicles the lives and crimes of the world's most notorious killers. I'm your host, Jennifer Notoso. In every episode, we'll trace a killer's origins, examine their behavior, and follow their path to bloodshed. In this episode, we'll discuss Michael Ryan. Michael Ryan was born just 10 miles from Hungerford in Marlborough, Wiltshire, on May 18, 1960, to parents Alfred and Dorothy Ryan. His father was 55 years old when he was born, and criminologist Dr. Elizabeth Yardley says Ryan's mother, 20 years her husband's junior, gave her son a lot of attention.
1: Michael was a bit of a mummy's boy. Um, She really did pander to him and tended to insulate him quite a lot from the outside world. But I think in insulating him, she tended to isolate him a little bit as well. So he didn't really develop the the skills of, of social interaction with his peers all that well.
0: Growing up, Ryan struggled to fit in and connect with other kids at school.
1: I think because he hadn't had those relationships with siblings that that most children have, um, he found it difficult to relate to other people. So he didn't really make any connections with others at school. And and I think he he got a bit of a reputation as being the older one out, the slightly strange kid.
0: When he was 16, Ryan dropped out of school and started working part-time as a handyman. His mother continued to spoil him, reportedly buying him everything he wanted including his first air rifle. The air rifle was the beginning of his collection of firearms, which he proudly displayed in his room. Author and journalist Jeffrey Wansel says there was more to this display than just collector's pride.
2: The Freudians would say that was a significant thing because of his own lack of masculinity and had to use a gun to confirm his own masculinity. lived in a fantasy world of gun magazines, and used to wear a strange kind of camouflage hat as though he was really Rambo. Some have speculated that he was spoiled, some that he was just overindulged. But there is no doubt that he turned into a tragic loner. In
0: 1985, 25-year-old Ryan lost his father to cancer. In his grief, he became even more withdrawn from society and focused the majority of his attention on his guns. And he became a frequent patron at his local firing range.
1: Often when we look at spree killers, we look at what drives them. It's often an underlying simmering resentment that is often years in the making. And because they don't have those social connections with other people, they simmer away and they just get worse and, and worse. And they spend a lot of time on their own, ruminating and planning.
0: On August 19th, 1987, the now 27 year old was unemployed and still living at home with his mother. And the frustration that had been simmering inside Michael Ryan for years was about to come to a head. The quiet August morning was about to take a turn as Ryan loaded his car with guns and drove out to Savernake Forest, seven miles west of Hungerford. There, he came upon 35-year-old Susan Godfrey, who was picnicking with her two young children.
2: Ryan approached Susan Godfrey and her two children, instructed her at gunpoint to put her children into the car, then took her into the bushes in the forest and shot her 13 times in the back.
0: Ryan had committed his first heartless and brutal murder, and Susan's children had watched the whole thing take place.
2: Indeed, it was her children who subsequently first raised the alarm when they told a passerby, a man in black has shot our mummy.
0: Ryan, however, was just getting started. Susan Godfrey was the first victim in what would become an incredibly bloody day.
2: He set off down the A4 towards Hungerford, stopped at a petrol station to fill up his car, waited for another car to leave, and then tried to kill the lady behind the counter from
0: his car at the gas pumps ryan opened fire through the windows of the gas station trying to kill the cashier as she ducked for cover having missed his target he entered the shop to finish the job but his gun jammed and he fled the scene the fortunate woman immediately dialed emergency services and alerted the police after that failed murder attempt Ryan got back in his car and continued down the road. He was nowhere near finished with his day of destruction as he headed directly back toward his hometown of Hungerford. Around 12.45 in the afternoon, Ryan arrived home to Number 4 Southview, intent on picking up the rest of his gun collection. But when he got back into the car to return to his murderous task, the car wouldn't start.
2: Ryan was so furious, he shot the car five times. He then killed his dog for reasons, again, no one can explain, set fire to the house, and he killed two neighbors who happened to be in their back garden.
0: Ryan's next door neighbors, Roland and Sheila Mason, were both killed instantly. With his house in flames, Ryan took three of the guns from his car, a Beretta 9mm pistol, an M1 carbine assault rifle, and an AK-47 machine gun, and headed east on foot.
2: He took two semi-automatics and a handgun with him and started to walk towards Hungerford Common. Then began what you could describe as almost a spree.
0: Ryan shot and injured two more people at the end of his street. One of them, a 14-year-old girl. It seems as though Michael Ryan had no plan other than to cause chaos as he walked through the small town.
1: We will probably never know what Michael Ryan's intentions were when he he left the house on the day that he carried out these, these killings. I think when we look at some of his behavior around it, though, we can perhaps speculate that he was suffering from some kind of mental illness. Some of the things, for me, that would support that would be how close together these killings were. When killings are further apart, when there's time in between them, the person is thinking about it, the person is deciding to do it again. But when it's in a continuous spree like this, there's less of that decision-making going on and psychosis or schizophrenia do come into the picture.
0: Ryan shot and injured a woman through her living room window, but she managed to dial 999. Reports of the shootings had begun to reach newsrooms across the country. And journalist Michael McCarthy remembers the utter bedlam of the day.
3: I was a general news reporter in the newsroom of The Times on the eastern side of London. And news came in, even in those days, news got around very quickly. That there'd be a major shooting incident in this small Berkshire country town of Hungerford. And I was sent by the office from London to Hungerford, which is about between 80 and 90 miles. Uh, and I was dispatched, I think, probably sometime after 1 o'clock. And I just shot down the M4.
0: News had also reached the mayor of Hungerford, Ron Terry, who was at a meeting in a nearby village.
3: I was in the
4: Lambourne area, and I had the car radio on when I heard that there had been a shooting in Hungerford. A number of people had been killed. My first thought was, there are a number of Hungerfords. There's one down in Hampshire, and it probably not ours, and then it said, Hungerford is a small market town in Berkshire. Suddenly the shock came in, it was, was that my Hungerford, if I like to call it that? How can it happen in a place like Hungerford?
2: At that point, I had an antique stall in Hungerford. And so I knew the town really very well. I used to go there every week without fail, Saturday and Sunday. It was very comfortable and warm and an enjoyable place to be, which makes the juxtaposition with Ryan, all the more dramatic. Because we're not talking about the mean streets of Chicago here. We're not talking about East Los Angeles. We're talking about Hungerford, a delightful, charming English county town with no real worries and equally no history of violence.
0: Ryan's killing spree continued as he came upon a family walking along a footpath connected to his street. The 51-year-old father, Kenneth Clements, raised his hands up in surrender, giving the rest of his family a chance to flee. Ryan cold-heartedly shot him in the chest, killing him instantly. Kenneth became the fourth victim in Ryan's random string of murders.
1: There doesn't seem to be a pattern to Michael Ryan's behavior on the day that he carries out these shootings. It appears to be indiscriminate. They are everyday people doing everyday normal things. And I think Michael Ryan never felt that he was part of that normal, part of that everyday. So perhaps there is a pattern underlying it in that the people that he's he's taking his his rage out on are the people that, that he wants to be like.
0: Another Hungerford resident Police officer Trevor Wainwright was out of town enjoying a day off when he heard the news.
5: On the 19th of August, it, I can remember very clearly, it was a beautiful, hot summer's day. I heard that there'd been a shooting or a, a hold-up at the, a filling station at Savenack.
0: Because the gas station was located in the neighboring county of Wiltshire, Trevor didn't immediately realize the danger his family was in. But a distressing call from home was about to change that.
5: And it was my wife saying, Trevor, you better get home. Don't know what's happening, but there's gunfire going across our garden. So I thought, oh, what's all that about? Could it be connected with the Savanac thing? You know, I didn't know. But obviously, I'd like to get back to Hungerford.
0: As Trevor raced home, he quickly became aware of the true severity of the situation.
5: As I drove across Hungerford Common... I could see on the edge of the town a couple of houses on fire. You know, you could see the smoke. And I could see, in a clump of trees, there was a group of people shouting in the trees. So I pulled up, and I knew a couple of the people there. I said, what, what's going on? And they said, oh, it's a bloke gone mad with a gun. I just didn't know what to think, you know. And you could smell the cordite from the weapon in the air, which I've never experienced that before, not not like that, you know, because... You could hear the sound of a gun going off, but I think the smoke and, and the fire from the house was the thing that was quite frightening.
0: By now, police were beginning to arrive in Hungerford, still not entirely aware of the scale of the ongoing rampage. 41-year-old Roger Brereton, a colleague of Trevor Wainwright's, was the first officer on the scene. Trevor recalls him well. Roger Brereton was
5: a lovely lad, He was a local lad, I think, came from Wantage Way originally. He came to Hungerford as a PC. We used to go out, crew a car together, on many occasions, going around the rural area. He was always a laugh and a joke. He was a good police officer. He was out in the Newbury area, and the call came up, there's shooting in Hungerford, and bravely, he said, I'm on my way.
0: At this point... Ryan had turned around and was headed back to his house. When he arrived at Southview, he spotted Officer Brereton in his police car. It's uncommon for police to carry firearms in England, meaning Brereton was defenseless against the gunmen.
2: Ryan fires 23 rounds at Brereton in his police car, hitting him four times. He was unarmed. He was doing no more than responding to a call that reports of gunfire. How could he possibly have expected to encounter a man who would shoot at him 23 times?
5: He just went to do his job and drove up into Southview and tragically he was shot whilst he was in the car several times and he didn't stand a chance.
0: PC Roger Brereton became Ryan's fifth victim
3: of the day. I mean, nowadays, you know, we're used to this as an age of terrorist attacks, they'd be armed to the teeth, the the people who were... But they were just policemen. They didn't carry sidearms, they didn't have rifles. So if Michael Ryan had wanted, he could have gone due west, and he could have gone into Hungerford High Street, and he could have gone up and down the high street, shooting people left, right and centre, and no-one could have stopped him, because there was no policeman with any weapon.
0: Meanwhile, Mayor Ron Terry was desperately trying to return to his home and family, but the increased number of police was making it difficult.:
4: Well I drove to Hungerford. Everything was closed off. The police were on every entry into Hungerford, and there's no way I could get into Hungerford. My wife was here, and my daughter and grandson were here. but I went just out of town to a farm manager that I knew and was able to ring, and speak to my wife here and be assured that they were all OK. Well, that was the first concern, but I couldn't get into Hungerford for some time.
0: As Hungerford went into lockdown, Michael Ryan continued with his blood-soaked frenzy on Southview. By the afternoon of August 19, 1987, 27-year-old Michael Ryan had already shot and killed five people in the usually quiet town of Hungerford in Berkshire. After abandoning his car at home, he had taken to the streets on foot. After killing his fifth victim, Officer Roger Brereton, Ryan began shooting at passing cars on Southview, his own street. First, he fired at a mother and her daughter, who escaped by driving away. Then he shot and killed driver George White before killing another neighbor, 84-year-old Abdul Khan who is in the back garden of his home. Author and journalist Jeffrey Wansel talks about what happened
2: next. He shoots at a neighbor, he shoots at an ambulance, which has also responded to the concept of shots fired. The man dissembling, disintegrating before your very eyes, falling apart, shooting at people entirely at random. And then, of all remarkable coincidences, his mother drives into the South View.
0: Ryan's mother, Dorothy, arrived home to an unimaginable scene.
2: It's almost impossible to imagine what she must have thought. Her house is on fire, there are bodies in the road, her neighbours are dead, and there's her son carrying two rifles and a handgun, clearly having done something absolutely terrifying. His mother gets out of the car, puts her hands up and pleads with him. Ryan shoots her. Her.
0: In an instant, Michael Ryan made his mother the eighth victim of his murder spree. Criminologist Dr. Elizabeth Yardley speculates that Ryan might not have been fully in control of his actions at this point.
1: It could be theorised that, that he accidentally shot his mother, I mean, if he was experiencing some kind of psychosis, uh, some kind of mental health condition where he wasn't in control of his actions, he could well have just been targeting people randomly, people who appeared in his line of sight and his mother happened to be one of those people.
0: As terror gripped the people of Hungerford, police officer Trevor Wainwright reported for duty at Hungerford police station.
5: It was quite bedlam, to be honest. In those days, we only had two phone lines into the police station, and there was a lot of movement. The first thing I wanted to know is who this was that was shooting people, because, you know, I'd been at Hungerford as a Bobby 15 years. I knew all the kids. I played football with them. I took them for football, and I had a wonderful relationship with people in the town, and this name, Michael Ryan, came out, and it didn't mean anything to me. I thought, well, who the
0: hell's that? At 1.30 p.m., the specially-trained tactical firearms unit was brought in to assist the local police. Wainwright was eager to help stop the gunman terrorizing his hometown.
5: The adrenaline was running through me, and I knew what I wanted to do was to accompany the armed police when they arrived, because I was the local Bobby, you know, and I thought, well, they didn't know where he was, you know, the location of him at that time. And so I said, well, I'll go down to the newsagents and get local maps and ordnance survey maps. I drove my car down into the high street, and I was amazed to see a row of ambulances, uh, a PC who stopped the traffic, and a couple of fire engines, more police cars, and there was people shouting in shop doorways. I just went straight into the newsagents. I said, let me have your street maps, let me have your, all the maps you've got. So I was able to get some, grab them, drove back to the police station. And by that time, there was lots of uh, senior police officers coming in and armed response vehicles that were coming in.
0: Hungerford Mayor Ron Terry was following the situation closely, but as information was reported by civilians, he said it was just overwhelming.
4: We knew something pretty serious was going on, but we didn't really know the scale of it. The telephone system was overwhelmed. I think it was very difficult for the police to find out where he was and what he'd done.
0: With the constant influx of conflicting information, the police were struggling to find Ryan.
5: Calls were coming in saying he was in One Street, but because he'd moved on by the time that call had been processed. So nobody knew where he was, but all the time he was shooting people as he went the streets.
0: Ryan continued on away from his home. After wounding another of his neighbors, he headed back across an area called Hungerford Common, where he murdered Francis Butler, a young father who was walking his dog. His tenth victim of the day was a taxi driver named Marcus Barnard. But Ryan was far from finished with taking innocent lives, and he headed toward the heavily populated town center. On his way, he shot and injured two more people.
2: As he walked along, he was shooting at pretty much anyone he came across. Some he killed, some he simply injured.
0: As Officer Trevor Wainwright worked to bring Ryan's murderous terror to an end, things took a tragically personal turn.
5: I got called into the sergeant's office and he said to me, Trevor, I don't know how to tell you this. I said, what? He said, "Um, he said, your dad's been shot and he's dead.
0: Trevor's parents, Douglas and Kathleen Wainwright had been driving to see their son, unaware of the danger that was waiting for them.
5: I didn't even think about my mum and dad coming to Hungerford that day. They lived in Kent and they traveled what 120 miles that day. And they've driven 300 yards from my house and they drove straight up Michael Ryan, who shoots into the car. And he shot my dad in the head, and he died instantly.
0: Kathleen was able to pull herself out of the car. She hid from Ryan until she was rescued by a local resident who brought her into the safety of their home, where she could wait for medical assistance.
5: The sergeant told me my dad had died. At that point, he said, your mum's also been shot, but she's been taken to hospital. We're going to get you to the hospital. So, it was really, that was me out of doing any more work at Hungerford.
0: By now, journalists were turning up in droves at the police station, determined to get information about what was happening in the small town. Michael McCarthy was one of the journalists present.
3: You couldn't get into the town centre, but you could see there was a police helicopter overhead, and there was smoke in the distance was I checked in with the office and they told me that there had been multiple shootings and they knew even then that it was in this street called Southview, which was on the eastern side of the town. And they wanted me, obviously, to get there as soon as I could, but you couldn't get within half a mile of it. I mean, there there was no way on earth you could get anywhere near it at that time.
0: Although everyone knew that something awful was taking place, both the public and the police were still trying to figure out exactly what was going on.
3: The whole incident consisted of three locations. 10 miles away in Savanac Forest, it all began when he shot that poor woman who was picnicking with her children. Then he drove down the A4 to Froxfield, where the service area was and he tried to shoot the woman on the till. And then he came into Hungerford and gradually these reports of these different things came in and it was immensely confusing. And if it was confusing for the police, it was doubly confusing for journalists who were trying to put together a picture of what had happened.
0: Slowly, McCarthy and the other journalists began to piece the story together.
3: It was starting to become clear that there was a man on the loose with what looked like automatic weapons who had killed more than one person. There were perhaps two, three, four, even five people dead. It was just shooting, shooting, shooting with a fully automatic assault rifle. So you know, piecing that together uh, for the police, never mind for journalists, was, a very difficult task to do.
0: Neither the media nor the police had any idea how quickly Ryan was claiming more victims. Handyman Eric Vardy became Ryan's 12th victim of the day when he was shot on his way to work. The 27-year-old gunman then crossed through a nearby neighborhood, killing 22-year-old Sandra Hill as she passed him in her car. Then Ryan forced his way into a house belonging to Victor Gibbs and his wife Myrtle. He shot and killed them both, bringing the total victims to 15.
1: Most spree killers feel um, kind of quite hard done by. They feel that they are victims. They feel that other people have been out to get them for their entire lives. And they often begin fantasizing about one day getting their, their revenge on these people.
0: Ryan moved south away from the town center and toward his old school, John O'Gaunt Community Technology College. On his way, he shot at a family driving by in their car, and the 34-year-old father, Ian Playle, was hit in the neck and died. In less than an hour and a half, Michael Ryan had killed 16 innocent people, many of whom were complete strangers. But the terror he was inflicting on the town in which he grew up was finally drawing to a close. Finally, Ryan,
2: I think symbolically, returns to his old school, the John O'Gaunt Community College, and he locks himself in. By this time, the police have managed to assemble a reaction, and he begins to negotiate.
0: For five hours, the police negotiated with Ryan, pleading for him to give himself up It seemed as though Michael Ryan was coming to terms with what he had done.
1: He seems incredibly concerned about his mother. That seems to be what is at the forefront of his mind, what he's most concerned with. And you could interpret that as some kind of remorse, but actually, I think it's more indicative of his enmeshment with his mother and his dependence upon his mother, because they had quite an intense relationship. He, he really was quite a, a mummy's boy. And I think that the thought that, that he had killed her and taken her out of the equation was something that he was having quite a lot of trouble with.
0: Shortly before 7 PM, police heard a single shot from inside the school.
2: The standoff ends with Ryan killing himself. The psychotic break is complete. He doesn't do anything dramatic. He simply shoots himself with one of his own rifles.
0: The Hungerford massacre was over.
4: In a way, it was a sort of something of relief. Then it was over then, you know, he couldn't shoot anyone else. And uh, in a way, it sort of was brought some closure in my mind. It didn't bring any closure to the events that happened subsequently, but, but it did bring closure to that event. He couldn't shoot any more else and no more lives would be lost.
0: For the residents of Hungerford, including Trevor Wainwright, the news of Ryan's suicide brought mixed feelings.
5: One of the strangest things for me was that the remorse had gone, you know, the fact that he'd killed himself and he was no longer alive. The hatred, you know, if he'd have been caught and arrested, I would have hated him so much and I would have been at every court hearing to see him get sentenced. But the fact that he killed himself, I didn't have that
3: hatred.
0: When it was all said and done, 16 people were dead. Countless others injured.
3: In the evening, we were told there'd be a briefing by the head of Thames Valley Police. And it was about 10 past 8 in the evening, and there were about 20 of us there. We were waiting just at the corner of this lane, I remember. And this senior officer came down. And remember, we all thought, you know, we knew that more than one person was dead. It could be three, four, five, even six. It was an enormous shock. No-one had any idea of the scale of it until that moment. And that was the first time we had a death toll an accurate casualty figure.
0: As news of the murders and the suicide became public, many people were shocked to see the familiar face of local man Michael Ryan.
5: When I saw the picture of Ryan in the papers myself, I knew it was the guy I used to see walking his dogs on Hungerford Common in his combat jacket and his hat, but that wasn't anything Alarming to me because a lot of people wear those type of coats, you know, especially around this area. He was a guy that was quite insignificant, to be honest. He was quite polite. When I saw him on the common with his dogs, we'd say good morning, but his dogs would sniff each other and he'd walk off.
4: I'd never really met him. I knew of him. I mean, he lived locally and I saw Michael Ryan spectating at football matches, but Didn't ever seem to mingle, and I didn't really know him at all. In fact, when I talked to people since, I don't think anybody really knew him.
1: When we look at people like Michael Ryan, people who carry out spree killings, um, the word loner often comes up. They tend to be very much kind of on their own, these lone wolves. And that's quite important for me because I think when we have other people around us, they act as a bit of a check on our behavior, a kind of surveillance. And when we say things that are a bit out of order, you know, our our friends and our peers will often pull us up on that. When we don't have those connections, those feelings tend to escalate and we tend to ruminate over feelings for quite a while. And without that filter, I think people like Michael Ryan can escalate quite quickly.
0: For those most affected by the actions of Michael Ryan, the massacre of August 19, 1987 would haunt them endlessly. As the dust settled on the town of Hungerford, the residents did come together with a strong sense of community.
4: The community reaction was marvelous. It was remarkable. I mean, people said, what can I do? It's, it's, it's
3: our problem. What can we do to help?" The vicar held a church service the first thing the next morning, which I went to. I think it was 8 o'clock in the morning, and he was very active in bringing people together. It was a community town. I mean, it was a sort of place where everybody knew, knew everybody, and they did rally round.
5: That was the great thing, the community spirit of the town, you know, and I think that's remained ever since.
0: After Michael Ryan's killing spree in Hungerford on August 19, 1987, the whole world was grappling with the violent spree. The residents of the town were now forced to deal with the aftermath of a mass murder in which 16 people died and 15 had been left injured. Mayor of Hungerford, Ron Terry, recalls the atmosphere in the town in the days after the event.
4: Well, it was silent. My mother was alive then. And she lived just off Priory Avenue, not far from the shooting took place. And I walked up there in the evening to ensure she was okay. And uh, there wasn't a soul about. People were just shocked and just remained at home. Somebody told me after there was a report that people in Hungary were cheering and singing because they heard that Michael Ryan had been killed. But it was absolute nonsense. But there was people were absolutely shocked and couldn't believe what had happened, and nor could I, for that matter.
0: The public was eager to know more information about the gunmen who attacked the residents of Hungerford. Journalist Michael McCarthy says that the media presence in the town was making it increasingly difficult for residents to get back to normal.
3: It became quite hard to talk to people because there were so many journalists there. As you can imagine, people got sick of it. Some of the tabloids would have had teams of five or six. So you got 40 or 50 journalists crawling over the place and it can't be avoided. It's just part of life, but people didn't like it.
0: One news report in particular left police officer and son to one of the victims, Trevor Wainwright, completely stunned.
5: Probably the thing that upset me really badly was the press coverage. The headlines were PC signed father's own death warrant.
0: The headline referred to an unfortunate coincidence. Trevor Wainwright had been the officer who helped approve Michael Ryan's gun license renewal just weeks before the attack.
5: I read that, and I just couldn't believe that. And it meant to me that if I signed my dad's death warrant, then I signed the death warrants of all the other people that got shot. And to me, that was so unfair because... Ryan was a member of a gun club. He had several weapons, and each time you have a weapon, you have to be vetted or have the license amended and approved. If he wasn't a suitable person, I'd be the person able to say that. But because he had no record and nobody really knew him, although he was a local lad, he was a loner. That doesn't prevent you from having a firearms certificate. and. You know, clearly there was no reason for him not to have a firearm certificate.
0: The reports and allegations deeply troubled Trevor, causing him to hide away from everyone, including his family.
5: I was so upset that I didn't want to go to hospital to see my mum, because she was in a ward with the other people that had been shot. And I couldn't face them. They obviously saw the, the paper in hospital. My mum was told that you know, I was very upset and she phoned me up from hospital and she said, Trevor, get your ass in here. The people want you.
0: The Hungerford Massacre did spark a wave of change in the UK, with many people calling for amendments to be made to gun laws.
3: What's the worst invention of the 20th century? It's the AK-47. Because it has nine moving parts, it can be mended in a village workshop, and it enables a boy of 10 to kill 30 men. An AK-47 is is a terrible weapon, and Ryan had one. And he also had an M1 carbine, which was American. So he had these assault rifles, which can, you know, go through a wall half a mile away. So many people thought something's got to be done about this. Why
4: on earth does a, a man need these guns? And why on earth
3: is it necessary to license them?
0: the government listened to the cries for change.
3: What the government decided to do, very quickly, in short order, uh, I think Douglas Heard was the Home Secretary, they commissioned a report about this from the head of Thames Valley Police, which came in quite quickly, and as a result of it, they amended the Firearms Act. You could not any longer be in possession of a, a fully automatic assault weapon, and that was done really quite quickly.
0: The Firearms Amendment Act, passed in 1988, banned the ownership of semi-automatic center-fire rifles and restricted the use of shotguns with a capacity of more than three cartridges in the hope that such a tragedy would never be repeated. It was a victory for people demanding change. However, for those in Hungerford, the damage was done. The reverberations of the shootings on August 19, 1987 would repeat for decades.
2: The scars linger now, 30 years on, because how could they not? Entirely random neighbors were killed, people you knew, people your children had been at school with, someone who might have seen every day at church. It was a a community, and there's no way a community could have suffered such a trauma without having been dreadfully affected.
4: The press asked me, when was the last murder in Hungford, do you think? and. There were two policemen murdered in Hungerford in 1876. And I said, well, I think 111 years ago. I don't know anyone since then. It's not the sort of thing you'd expect to hear in a place like Hungerford.
5: I think the community has got stronger uh, as a result of what's happened. And as time goes on, you know, the hunger thing fades out a little bit, but it will always be there.
0: Michael Ryan's shocking actions left the nation stunned, and many people... We're left asking the same question. Why?
2: One of the mysteries of Michael Ryan is that we will never know. He killed himself at the end of the events and killed his mother as part of the killings. There was no one else. His father had long since dead. There were no siblings. There was no other close related family. He was, in the end, just this rather isolated, way-faced young man with a fascination with guns.
1: I think Michael Ryan certainly did some evil things, whether he consciously chose to to do what he did or whether he felt compelled to act in that way because of some kind of psychosis, perhaps we'll never know.
0: The violence unleashed by Michael Ryan on that August afternoon had no reason and were entirely random. In less than two hours, he took the lives of 16 people. His victims included mothers, fathers, a police officer, even his own mother. The people of Hungerford, though, refused to be defined by a day that caused so much pain and suffering.
4: I think it strengthened the community spirit. It made Hungerford better known for all the wrong reasons. Hungerford was more than that. That was just one dreadful day, but there's been hundreds of years of history when that wasn't Hungerford. And so we don't think of Michael Ryan and that day in August Nineteen eighty seven has been what is about.
0: What makes a killer is an Audio Boom original series in production with Woodcut Media and hosted by me, Jennifer Natoso. This series is produced by Audio Booms Lauren Vogel, Blair Payton, Pam Burroughs, and Karen Bevan, and by Nick Maverdeckis for Woodcut. Original music by Ben Krege. Executive producers for Woodcut are Kate Beale and Janelle Patel, and for Audio Boom are Brendan Regan and Stuart Last. A special thanks to the families and friends of victims willing to share their stories. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. If you have some time, we sure would love a review. on next week's episode of What Makes a Killer. On November 30th, 2015, a Bavarian man viciously murdered his wife, bludgeoning her with a hammer while she was asleep.
2: I can think of few more depraved acts than dispatching someone with a hammer after you've climbed into bed with them.
0: After killing his wife... The man chopped up her body before placing the pieces in four large boxes and stashing them in a storage unit. Two days later, he boarded a plane to Thailand, showing no signs of any remorse for killing his wife.
1: When we look at cases like the Krona case, it's just the extreme end of the wedge. It's the tip of the iceberg.